from LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. When GDP goes down a lot, it takes more work to get back to the top again. It's a little bit like when stocks go down 50%, you have to go up 100% to get back to the starting point. So it might not be as strong as it actually looks when you average the, the two together. But at the same time, we do know that the recovery has been strong, stronger than expected so far. Um, we don't know if we're going to continue to get something that turns out to be truly a V. Uh, most economists think that things are going to slow down a little bit from here. You have to look at it and you say it's, it's been a lot stronger than most people expected. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. Ryan Dietrich here. And we have um, two guests today. I don't, you know, it's been a while since we've had three people on the podcast, but we have a special guest. We'll talk about that in a minute here, but I do want to bring on Barry Gilbert. Barry, um, this is your second time on the podcast, I believe. You must have done something right because we're bringing you back, or maybe Jeff was just totally busy and couldn't do it. I'm not going to go there, but, um, you know, how, um, how is life in Boston treating you, Barry? Let's start with that. Uh, life in Boston is, uh, is pretty good. Yeah, coming off a weekend, we all like our weekends, just a chance to chill out, uh, you know, let our brains relax a, a little bit. Things going going okay here. How about down there? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not too bad. My birthday is this Wednesday, so anyone wants to send me a card, feel free. But um, I went out with some friends. Like One buddy of mine's birthday is on Thursday. Another guy's was on Monday. We all kind of just realized like two weeks ago, all our birthdays are close to each other. So we all, we all snuck out and had some fun um, just in the neighborhood, went to buddy's house did some stuff so it was, a good, it was a good little you know impromptu birthday uh celebration that was nice and then barry this is market signals right we talk about markets and stats and i want to point something out to you we've talked many times about my just dreaded cincinnati Bengals. two weeks ago barry i don't know if you heard these you're gonna love these stats two weeks ago okay the Bengals are 21 nothing and lost all right you go back in market history or at least football history the last 95 times that happened, so a team started up 21-0 in the regular season. Uh, postseason's different, but in the regular season, that team won, all right? Well, now it's 95-1 and because of what the Bengals did two weeks ago against the Colts. Just yesterday, the Bengals scored more than 32 points and did not punt. In the history of the NFL since, since, since the Super Bowl started, teams that did that were like 55-0, and okay? Now it's 55-1. and So you add those two things together, if my math is right, you're talking, you know, 106, 150 and two now, I believe, um, after what my Bengals have done. It was 150 and 0, now it's 150 and two. That's pretty terrible, but it, it's where it is. But at least your Steelers won, though, right? My Steelers did one. Uh, it might be a little bit of a lesson than Bengals. You know, uh, we're going to talk election a little bit today. And, yep. Uh, yep. you know, when we talk about elections, uh, you know, <laughs> we tell people to be ready for, for anything to happen. Uh, and, yes. and maybe that the Bengals are, are giving us a, a little bit of a lesson that uh, that Just, really anything at all could happen. The most important thing is for people to go out and vote. Yes, yes. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to go anymore. <laughs> but one guy literally on Twitter said he was selling his house after the game because he wants out of town. Carlos Dunlap put on Twitter he's selling his house because he wants out of town. So anyway, it's just a disaster. But anyway, we have a mystery guest today. Now, I know you know who it is. Um, but this is really exciting for us. So we'll get there in a little bit. Barry and I are going to talk for, well, here's our script today. Uh, we're going to talk markets a little bit, Barry and I, for, for a while. And we're going to bring on the special mystery guest. 
uh, to talk all things politics. Obviously, the election, by the time most people listen to this, will be about a week away. Uh, lots of things uh, to discuss there, so it should be a lot of fun. And then we're going to close things out, taking a look at this week's weekly market commentary, which are some of these things we've talked about before, but we put them all in one spot, which um, if you look at some of the market signals that are out there, we think maybe this race could be a lot closer than what um, some of the polls are telling us. So, Barry, let's just kind of get into it here. Um, one of the things that caught me, you know, stocks were down. At the time we're recording this, stocks are selling off. Um, COVID cases are spiking. Uh, economic data has been pretty good. One of the things that got me, I read a Bloomberg article over the weekend, and I want to ask you about this. The VIX, the volatility index, the fear gauge, it's been up over 30 consistently, even with markets hanging in there doing pretty well, implying, you know, there's a monster under the bed, some type of fear. Of course, it's the election, right? We know there could be volatility around the election. But look at credit markets, look at credit spreads, investor-grade corporates, high-yield um, spreads. They're showing no worry at all. I mean, there's a big disconnect, and some pretty smart people are thinking this disconnect is very unique, and maybe it, again, opens the opportunity for even more volatility after this election with whatever happens. What's your thoughts, though, on that, where the VIX is saying one thing and, and uh, credit spreads are saying another? Well, uh, I think one question to ask is, is this uh, implied volatility, is this event-driven? Uh, or is this a shift in economic expectations? And I think if you look at that difference, you can really focus in on this being more event-driven. It's about the election. Uh, it's partially about the pickup in COVID as well. Um, but until yep. we really see the credit markets move, it probably means that economic expectations haven't changed a whole lot. No, I agree there. And you know, the other thing that gets me, and we've talked about this before, I mean, back in February when the S&P was making a new high, all right, all-time high. You can see it on the chart there. We, with this video, we now are on YouTube uh, recording these. You can see on YouTube, we've got a chart of the S&P 500 on February 19th, made new all-time high. Yet the bond market was really freaking out. Specifically, credit spread started blowing out a little bit, but the 10-year yield, the bottom just dropped out of the 10-year yield early part of February. All right, I mean, suggesting the bond market was scared of something. Barry, you want to enlighten me? What did 10-year yield do just last week? Uh, yields moved higher. Uh, exactly. We've been waiting for a while to see him move up a little bit, and uh, and they've actually started to move, not quite past the uh, the peaks that we've seen since March, but uh, but they're getting close. Yeah, I mean exactly. That's one big difference, I think. Um, spreads are tight, nonetheless, which again, credit spreads are relatively calm. But the ten-year yield is suggesting again. Um, you know, I think people tend to forget this. I mean, higher moving yields historically aren't really a bad thing. I mean, we've just been in this very unique situation for ten years with. Um, you know, the Tina, there's nowhere else to, no other um, options to invest in. And, you know, the Fed buying bonds and keeping rates low. But historically, a little bit higher yield is suggesting a better economy. And the one thing I, I've continued to note, I think I mentioned last week on the podcast, aluminum broke out the two-year highs. Copper is breaking out the multi-year highs. These industrial metals are really doing well. Now, a big part of that could simply be because China is going to be the only country just about this year that shows positive GDP, at least they're expected to. They buy a lot of these industrial metals. At the same time, it's hard to be, at least my opinion, it's hard to be bearish the global economy here when industrial metals are breaking out the multi-year highs. And historically speaking, uh, copper, uh, when it's been strong, that tends to pull the 10-year yield higher with it. So I think some of that's playing out um, as well. Barry, let's talk about the LEI. This is one of our favorite um, economic indicators that we follow, leading economic um, indicators 10 different, it's a group of 10 different indicators that government takes a look at. It's been higher five months in a row. In the history of this data that we've got going back decades, there's we, we, being our U.S. economy, have never been in a recession 
when that's higher five months in a row. The catch, and there's always a catch, is it's been slowing off of the historic bounce we saw in the middle of this year. What, what do you think about the LEI or maybe anything else on the economic uh, point of view or, or economic front that you want to discuss a little bit here? Yeah, LAI, you just really want to see it positive. Um, you know, it can get closer to zero there as long as it stays positive. Uh, we're typically in, uh, in pretty good shape. Now, we've got a huge uh, bounce early. Uh, we know that the, uh, the economic recovery got off to a, a, a really good start, and it's been coming back. The fact that it's been coming back, not a major concern. As long as those leading indicators stay positive, it's a good sign for the economy. Yeah, we, we talked about retail sales before. Retail sales are at all-time highs, all right? I mean, there's only been a couple times in history and retail sales made a new all-time high. Guess what? The recession was over the very next week. I'm sorry, very next month. Uh, so lots of different signs that, again, suggest the economy is likely in an expansion. Um, you know, and that recession was probably one of the shortest recessions we've ever seen. I mean, Barry, here's an easy question for you. You know, easy, easy question for a Monday morning. The last couple expansions lasted like 10 years. This expansion is, I don't know, a couple of months old, we're going to say. Do you think this one will get to 10 years? Uh, that's a that's a tough question. Uh, what, yes, we really, what we <laughs> Better really... Better you than me. I'm going to say no. My, my money says no. I don't think it will. But nonetheless, uh, what do you think? I, I think the key is really, do we see a pickup um, in, uh, in productivity, in worker productivity? Mm -hmm. Because that's one of the, the key things. The two key drivers of, uh, of GDP um, are either growth in work hours, which we'll see a little bit of early on, but at some point we'll hit capacity again. Uh, but then it's really all about product productivity, driving GDP. Um, will we get enough technological innovation that we really see a big pickup in productivity? If we do, um, we could see this thing become more extended. Uh, if we don't, uh, then you know, we could have a, a, a short mini recession or a setback well, well before the 10 years go by. Yeah, I mean, when Bert, when Bert White, our chief investment officer, joined some of these calls back when um, you know, the markets were really volatile and things were really scary, Bert pointed out, in the early 80s, we had the shortest recession ever, only six months. This one's ballpark going to be about the same. That actually was a double-dip recession. We had about a year of tepid economic growth, and then we had a recession. Now, that's not our base case at LPL Research, but one thing Bert said was, you know, this was not a normal recession. I mean, the economy is in pretty good shape, right? And now did we really flush out all the excesses during this very, very quick recession? I mean, I guess we'll find out. You know, So there are some potential things there that, um, that might say that, this, that we won't have quite a 10-year economic cycle of growth. But again, you know, we just don't know. But just be aware that there are um, some potential worrisome signs there. Barry, the last thing we want to talk about, then we're going to bring on the special guest. I, I did this blog, lplresearch.com, uh, last week. I thought it was fairly interesting. It's how stocks do after the election. We've talked a lot about, you know, what do things do before the election? Well, it turns out after the election is over, if the incumbent president wins, stocks tend to do a little bit better. If you have a new president, stocks do okay, but they don't do as well. They're up 9.6% uh, the calendar year after the election if the incumbent president wins. And they're up uh, half that, 4.8% if you get a new president in town. Think back to uh, like Reagan and Clinton um, and President Obama. I mean, we had some major, major rallies in some of those years when they won, I guess call it the fifth year of their presidential cycle. The economy was good. You know, you kind of knew what you were going to get, whether you liked the guy or you didn't, you knew what you were going to get. I mean, what, what's your take kind of on, uh, I mean, we're going to get into politics a lot more, just big picture. Does that make sense? I think, you know, markets just kind of like, the uncertainty, I guess, of having the same guy in there. What, what's your take? 
I think part of it also is if the economy is going well, uh, the incumbent's more likely to get reelected. So you're, <laughs> you've got things going pretty well to begin with. Right. And uh, if you get voted out, it means that there's probably uh, something wrong or there might be something wrong with the economy and it's going to take time to come back. Um, so it might be telling us as much about uh, what's happening in the economy when the incumbent gets reelected or doesn't get reelected as the, the response to the, uh, to the new president. You know, you just, when you were talking there, you sparked something. You wrote a really, I think it's a really awesome blog. It's going to be on, again, lpillresearch.com this, I believe, Thursday, later this week. Just kind of at how, what you, you talk about. I don't want to give any thunder away. It's an awesome blog. What did you, you discover here in kind of the way people vote and the way cycles work when it comes to elections? Well, it seemed, at least going back to 1952, um, mm -hmm. that uh, American people seem to seek balance. Uh, yep. You know, we... we typically have a Republican or a Democratic president for eight years. There have been only two exceptions to that. Uh, Carter went out after four, and uh, George H.W. Bush extended um, the Republican regime after Reagan to, to 12 years. But uh, we've had a little bit more turnover in president because of uh, you know, President Kennedy's uh, death and uh, Nixon right. leaving office and resigning. But uh, Nixon was followed by Ford. They had eight years. Kennedy was followed by Johnson. They had eight years. It's been eight years, eight years, eight years. Uh, and I think it says something about the American electorate. Um, you know, I, I know we've had a lot of talk about partisanship, uh, but it does give some signal that the American electorate, when they're choosing a president, um, you know, they're, they seem to be constantly gauging when we've moved too far in one direction or the other uh, and bringing right. things back to middle. And it's a very steady pattern. It's lasted for a long time. If you just use that pattern to uh, predict who would be president, it would be right almost 90% of the time. Uh, each party gets eight years to do their thing, and then typically they go too far in one direction or the other, and, uh, and the electorate pulls them back. There's a kind of wisdom to, uh, to what the electorate does. Uh, that, that, it's really, I mean, I guess I, I knew that, but when I read your blog, and hopefully everyone gets a chance to read it here in a couple of days, uh, some really good takeaways there. So with the opening comments out of the way, Barry, you can take a breath here. We are going to bring on the special mystery guest. Now, I don't know if you guys are taking a guess uh, who it was going to be. Um, I would like to welcome for the first time on the LPL Market Signals podcast, someone outside of the LPL Research Group, but it is someone inside the LPL family. Nana from our Government Relations team is here. Now, Nana and I, we were just talking. I said, what do you want me to say your last name? I wasn't sure exactly how to pronounce it. You said, just call me Nana. You're, you're like Madonna. You're just going by one one name. Tell me, tell us a little bit about that. I think that's awesome. <laughs> uh, no, I, well, I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for, for having me. So yeah, my last name is Nianan. Um, but, you know, it's quite nice to be known as a mama name, right? There's something very yes. cool about that. So if I can, you know, have a legacy where it's just Nana and you know exactly who we're talking about, that's something oh. I think I'll, I'll try to work towards. I think Barry and I are going to go by Ryan and Barry from now on, too. I think that's <laughs> awesome. So, so Nana, tell, tell me a little bit and tell our listeners a little bit about how you help our 17,000 LPL advisors, kind of what your day job is, in essence. I know you're based in Washington, D.C., so you are in the middle of it. What, what do you do? How do you help our advisors? That's exactly right. So I am based in Washington, D.C., and I try to sort of cut through the cacophony that can sometimes be Washington and I really make sure that lawmakers here have a deep appreciation for the social and economic value that uh, LPL advisors stimulate in communities across the country. So that's in essence uh, my goal. And to advance that goal, uh, my colleague here and I work on a bipartisan basis to try to achieve that. 
Uh, well, that's it's obviously, I mean, your job's always busy, but clearly in an election year and right ahead of the election, I know you're extremely busy. So we're really honored that you could take some time out and talk with us a little bit. So let's just, you know, we've got you for a little bit. Let's just get into it, Nana. The fiscal plan. I mean, it feels like every day, every hour we look, oh, it's on again. It's off again. Some people call it the fifth coronavirus fiscal plan. Some people call it the fourth. I just like to say the next plan. It seemed like on Sunday, which was yesterday. The, the lingo of moving the goalpost. Both sides, well, they moved the goalpost. It's like it felt like we were close to a new plan, and then it gets just, just pulled out, you know, Charlie Brown, right, with the football. Just football gets pulled away, right, and we think we're there. What's your take? Do you think we're going to get a plan before the election, and how close do you think we really are to, uh, to getting something done here? Yeah, so despite the rhetoric over the weekend, I think the, the stimulus package remains at an impasse, and I think the closer – that we get to election day, we're now eight days out, the more unlikely it becomes that a package comes together. Uh, you know, the same uh, issues remain. And, you know, as we get closer, I think it'll just become more difficult. There are less days. You know, the Senate is gonna be in session right now to confirm the Supreme Court justice. The House is, is currently not in session. You know, members have been given a 24 hour notice to come back should a deal actually come together. Uh, but, you know, I just don't expect something like that, given the fact that so many of these members are going to be, you know, campaigning as we're getting closer to November 3. Yeah, I, I tend to agree there. Um, so it seems like but for, kind of, this is market signals. So we talk about the stock market and the economy a little bit. The mar stock market seems to be taking it in stride because it almost has been sniffing out, in my opinion, for several weeks. You know what? Maybe we're not going to get a deal before the election but maybe we're going to get a better deal after the election. Do you think we'll get a deal during the lame duck period or we're going to wait until uh, 20, you know, January of 2021 before we get the eventual uh, deal? What's your feelings there from what you're hearing in Washington Insiders? So I think it's certainly possible to see something come together in the lame duck. I think the economy um, is a variable there, but I think the balance of power that emerges um, after the election will definitely be a factor here as well, right? So, you know, if you have a situation where, you know, Democrats lose their uh, bargaining power, maybe you see something come together. Perhaps if Democrats sweep, maybe Democrats hold out until January so that they can get most of their priorities in. So I think we'll have to watch and see what the balance of power looks like. And I think that will ultimately help determine if we see something come together. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let's maybe talk about the Senate a little bit then. The Senate balance of power we do show on our YouTube channel, 47 Democrats, 53 Republicans. Um, you know, the base case, and Barry and I are going to talk about this a little bit later. We think, you know, there's a probably a better chance of what, the, what a lot of people think that the Republicans can kind of hold on to the Senate here. And there's some signals that are saying maybe this race is going to be a little bit closer. Clearly, Joe Biden is the favorite. We're aware of that. And the, the Democrats will probably keep the House. But the Senate's the one we want to focus on because it's a little more up in the air. Um, what, what's your feelings kind of on the current makeup and, and um, you know, the what, what could happen, I guess, uh, either way uh, with, with the Senate when all is said and done? Well, certainly at the beginning of this election cycle, I don't think folks really anticipated that the Senate would be in play in the way that right. it is now. And I think people are really opening up uh, themselves to this notion that you could see a uh, power change hands from Republicans to Democrats. And I think part of that is because so many of these seats have been moved into this sort of lean Democrat or toss up category. So right now, obviously, uh, Republicans maintain uh, the majority. Democrats would need three or four seats to be able to regain power. I would say four seats just because it's very possible that they lose Alabama as a seat. Um, and what's also been really fascinating about this is that 
the fundraising numbers that are coming out of these competitive races uh, are just really breathtaking. So you know, now, depending on which election handicapper you're subscribing to, there are about 12 to 15 competitive seats that we're looking at right now. You know, Democrats have raised uh, eye-popping numbers, and Jamie Harrison in, in South Carolina raised about 50 eight million dollars in the third quarter alone uh so there are you know given the fact that these competitive races are happening in around 15 places in places that we never even thought were possible people are talking about alaska now people are talking about kansas iowa south carolina states that are traditionally red a republican now seemingly in terms of polling uh it could become uh, you know, relatively close. So the fact that you have these 15 competitive seats also suggests that there's multiple paths uh, for Senate Democrats to be able to, you know, try to gain control of the Senate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I live in South Carolina, and there are a lot of Jamie Harrison commercials, and a lot of Jamie Harrison um, um, yard signs, I guess you could say. Um, so, you know, one thing we, we are sharing now, and you mentioned this to me before we started talking, but on the YouTube channel, we've got um, you know, kind of a breakdown of the United States, and some are solid Democrats, some are solid Republican. And this was as of October 13th, so we'll call it two months ago. You said a lot of these have switched in just uh, two, two weeks ago. I'm sorry. Two no worries. In, in just two weeks, things have really changed, right, in a lot of these cases. Is that true? That's exactly right. A lot of these races are now in the toss-up category. They're, they're very close. Uh, so, you know, we could really see some election, you know, surprises come, uh, you know, past. Now, I keep, we keep saying November 3rd, but it, it feels like a bit of an anachronism because people have been voting uh, for, for several weeks now. And, you know, as of today, more people have voted than in all of 2016, right? So I feel a bit silly, you know, constantly saying November 3 because it's, it's perennially election day for so many people. No, uh, absolutely. Um, let's. Now I know one thing you wanted to talk about was just kind of 2016 versus 2020 in, in some of the polls and some of the things we're hearing and seeing. You want to dig a little bit more into maybe some of the similarities and some of the differences that are out there between these obviously two extremely um, important years. Sure. So I, you know, I think it's quite natural for folks to want to look to the last election to maybe glean insight into what's happening now. And I think I just tend to try to caution that a little bit, just because uh, the. The electoral landscape now is fundamentally different than it was, you know, back in 2016. So even setting aside the pandemic and setting aside the fact that the economy contracted, um, you know, in 2016, you had Secretary Clinton, who was the most unpopular Democratic nominee in the history of the Democratic Party. And you had pre you have President Trump, who was the most unpopular uh, uh, Republican nominee in the history of the Republican Party, both of whom... <laughs> oh, man. Got it. You put it like that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Both of whom were sort of going head to head for a seat of power that neither had occupied. So, you know, the American people were essentially making a decision between one person or the other. And now we're in a situation where President Trump has had the job. And so he really is saying to the American people, I would like to extend my contract with you. And, you know, the answer is either you know, yes or no. And so, you know, I think in, in, in that sense, it's different. And I, and, and, and in a lot of ways, it becomes a referendum on Trump. And, and in absolute terms, um, Mr. Um, Biden is not as relevant here. Uh, but if we are to talk about Mr. Biden for a second, I think it's also relevant because uh, the coalition behind uh, Vice President Joe Biden is very different than the coalition that we had with uh, Secretary Clinton. You know, Joe Biden has you know, galvanized support among seniors, independents, uh, 
white, uh, white college educated suburbanites. It's a coalition that you know, Trump and Romney actually manage. I don't think a, a Democrat has actually galvanized seniors since Al Gore in 2000. So the fact that you're even seeing, you know, demographic shifts and demographic changes, I think suggests that we are in a totally different space than we are in, in 2016. And I think I would caution, you know, too many comparisons to, to what happened four years ago. Okay, good stuff there. Well, there's a couple more comments from you. Um, this this podcast will be a little bit longer than normal, but I think we've got a lot of stuff to discuss. And a week before the election, we want to make sure we cover all of our bases here on the LPL Market Signals podcast. I will say before I give the next question, just thank you to all the continued listeners out there. Um, you know, we've been hitting some record number of listens and downloads. Um, we're nearing 300,000 total downloads since we broke this, uh, since we started this podcast about two years ago. Um, we love positive reviews, likes and follows. Please, you know, hit that like button, give us a follow, give us a positive review. It, it helps more and more people listen to this podcast. So thank you so much from everyone at LPL um, Financial and LPL Research that uh, put a lot of time and effort into this podcast. I say my job's easy. I sit here and talk for 25 minutes and leave. Um, a lot of people put a lot of work in behind the scenes and it's, uh, it's, it's really neat to see it grow. So Nana, Let's talk about the Supreme Court a little bit. Um, you know, that vote is taking place very soon, I believe, right? Yeah. I think, this, this, right? this evening, yeah. That's what I thought. Good. I was like, I hope I'm, not, hope I'm not way off. Sometimes I say stuff and I'm way off and I just go with it. But you're, you're smart and you're going to call me out if I'm wrong. So usually Jeff's nice to me and doesn't call me out if I say something silly. Um, but, you know, so that that likely going to take place. What, what, what are the impacts of it, you think, with the election in mind here? So, 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 and so the Supreme Court, is, this is very timely. So last, um, I think it was yesterday. So Sunday, they had a procedural vote uh, and it, it essentially landed on partisan lines, except for two Republicans uh, that voted such that um, opposed this final vote, which is going to happen this evening. And so the two Republicans being uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska and Senator Susan Collins of Maine. Of course, we know Senator Susan Collins is in a very, very tough reelection uh, in Maine. Uh, while uh, Senator Murkowski has said that she opposed the procedural vote, but will likely vote for um, Judge Amy Coney Barrett uh, this evening, Senator Susan Collins has also said that she would, well, she has said that she will not vote for uh, Sen uh, for Judge uh, Amy Coney Barrett. In terms of, um, you know, the actual election impact, you know, I think at the beginning of this process, I think folks thought that this was going to have a seismic kind of impact on the polls. And I think, you know, to a de small degree, it was color enhancing. And when I say color enhancing, I mean, the reds got redder, the blues got bluer. Uh, you, you saw some fundraising numbers come in. Uh, you saw folks kind of galvanize around social issues that tend to come about when we talk about the Supreme Court. But I think, you know, subsequent events like the first debate and, you know, the fact that unfortunately President Trump was afflicted with coronavirus, I think muted the impact that it did have on the polls. So, you know, I don't think it's a, it's sort of a massive um, impact polling wise, but I think it did, you know, have an impact in terms of the rhetoric that we saw around uh, the, the election. Okay, excellent. Now I know those are kind of all the notes that I had scribbled down when we discussed. Are there any final comments or anything you want to make sure that um, you let our listeners know regarding the election, the economy, the president, anything at all? Sure, so, you know, I mean, I mentioned uh, that more, you know, I think it's like 60 million or so people have already voted early. So more people have voted now than in all of 2016. And I just think that is phenomenal, right? I think the more people that participate in our democracy, the more vibrant our democracy will be. And so I'm very heartened by that. You know, we talked about how this is sort of a silver lining of the pandemic. 
And so, you know, I really do, I guess, make, want to emphasize that a little, a bit of good news. I think it's, it's sometimes, um, you know, politics can, can seem acrimonious and, uh, you know, these are, are tough times with the pandemic. And so I'm glad that something uh, really positive has come out of it. No, absolutely. I said, you know, there's not many positives of what's happened in 2020. There's no question there. But one of them is we've realized we can vote a little bit early. So everybody having to go on the same day. And I mentioned this a week ago when I did this podcast with Jeff, I had a couple hours uh, during lunchtime. I said, I'm going to go vote. I'm in York County here, just south of Charlotte, York County, South Carolina. And I, I saw all these cars parked on the right into where I was going exactly some like little you know, rec, rec center. So these cars parked on the side. I was like, that's on the side of the street. Like, that's kind of weird. Then I got there and I realized everybody was outside waiting. It was like a two hour wait, I heard. So I did not vote officially early, but I will. I'll get there. I said, Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to do it today. So it was like everybody's out there voting early. So that's, um, that's, that's really neat. So Nana, thank you so much for joining. Um, the podcast. You can stay on. Barry and I'll do a little talk. We might say a little bit at the end here, but you know, I think our listeners, hopefully, I know they will. They really appreciate your insight. I know I do, and Barry yeah, does. And everyone from LPL Research really appreciates your partnership and how you guys help our seventeen thousand advisors. Kind of just you know, you're back there. You're you're advocating. I mean, your job is advocating for our advisors, right? I mean, what are some of the okay. things you're hearing before you go? What are some of the yeah. things you're hearing in the in the financial industry? We don't need to talk stock market anymore. The financial industry things that you're kind of advocate for our advisors uh, on their behalf. Sure. So our, I think the crown jewel of our issues is this issue related to taxes. So in 2017, Congress passed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, TCJA, and it created a 20% passive deduction for small businesses. However, unfortunately, uh, independent contractor uh, financial advisors aren't able to fully benefit from this tax deduction. Uh, so we've been talking to Congress to explain to them uh, how important it is for these small business uh, financial advisors to be able to fully benefit. And particularly now in the context of the pandemic, when we talk about you know, the liquidity needed for small businesses, the fact that small businesses underpin our economy, now more than ever, it's important uh, that our tax code uh, recognizes the importance that these financial advisors uh, provide to so many families, particularly also during now during the pandemic, uh, many of them, all of them, have been ensuring that families remain economically resilient. So uh, they're really uh, an essential uh, part of our community, are, are part of our economy, uh, and, and the tax code shouldn't create um, a disparities there. So uh, that's something that uh, we, we, we spent a lot of time talking about. We, we engage with members on, on both sides about that. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to, uh, to talk about that. Oh, that, that's awesome. Yeah, no, thank you again for, for all the work that you're doing for our LPL advisors behind the scenes and out front. Uh, so Barry, going to pull you back in. That's a pretty tough act to follow. I think we should that just stop right now. I don't know what we're even going to say now. I'm like, okay, that was, we should have ended with Nana because that was pretty good. That was awesome. It was beyond pretty good. Barry, I mean, we're, we're at a half hour or so. So let's kind of wrap this up in a couple minutes. But this week's weekly market commentary, we said, um, are the polls wrong again? And just suggesting, you know, if you look, we talked before, when stocks are strong ahead of an election, it tends to support the incumbent president. When the U.S. dollar is weak ahead of an election, it tends to support the incumbent president potentially to win. Incomes have been higher also, um, you know, this year. And that tends to support the incumbent president. So, Barry, let's talk about GDP, because that's the big thing this year is the GDP report. Um when you average the second and third quarter GDP, assuming we get about 35% GDP growth in the third quarter, we'll find out on Thursday, um, that comes out to about 52% of the popular vote. 
based on previous regressions of um, previous elections, exactly what President Obama got in 2012. So do you think a strong GDP number might sway some voters, the, the few people haven't voted by now? What, what do you think about GDP um, here? It, it could certainly help. Uh, we follow the GDP numbers uh, behind the scenes, and so we have a sense of, uh, of what's coming. I think that uh, the headline number that comes out could be meaningful because most people don't. Uh, one thing to keep in mind, though, is the number comes out on Thursday, uh, and right. a lot of people have already voted. So uh, less chance for an impact, but at the same time, what's really important behind GDP is not the official announcement, but what people have actually been experiencing uh, you know, for the last three, three and a half months. And uh, so it, it could help. Uh, it's a little bit unusual this time because... Um, when GDP goes down a lot, it takes more work to get back to the top again. It's a little bit like when stocks go down 50%, you have to go up 100% to get back to the starting point. Um, so it might not be as strong as it actually looks when you average the, the two together. Um, but at the same time, we do know that the recovery has been strong, stronger than expected so far. Um, we don't know if we're going to continue to get something that turns out to be truly a V. Um, most economists think that things are going to slow down a little bit from here. Uh, but you have to look at it and you say it's, it's been a lot stronger than most people expected. No, absolutely. The final chart and final thing we'll discuss, we're going to wrap up this week's uh, podcast. The polls do favor Joe Biden. I mean, there's no question. The polls favor Joe Biden. When you look at the recent Gallup poll approval rating for, Joe, um, for President Trump, it came in at 43%, so, so pretty low. And if you, again, use regression based on all the previous um, – going back several decades, all the previous elections, that comes out to less than half of the percent of the two percent of the two party vote for um, President Trump and Bush one and Carter uh, both had very low approval ratings heading into the election. Not surprisingly, they did not win. They're the only only ones that haven't uh, didn't win reelection. Um, you know, whereas Johnson, Reagan, Nixon all had really high approval ratings actually ahead of the ele their reelections and they all fairly comfortably won those elections. Um, any kind of comments on um, the Gallup polls here, Barry? Or Gallup poll, I should say. Yeah, you're, you're really right on the line there, aren't you? Uh, when, yes. when it comes to Trump, which tells us the same story that we had with everything else that we look at, which is uh, this is uh, such an unusual uh, election when it comes to the signals, when it comes to the, the market signals. Uh, it is, uh, it's tough to gauge. Um, we know it all comes down to the it all comes down to the voters. Whatever signals that we get, ultimately, it's not the signals that determine the election; it's the voters that determine the election. Uh, so, uh, the final say it, it belongs to uh, all of our listeners and, and the American electorate. That's uh, a great way to put it, there, Barry. So, definitely, by the time you guys listen to this podcast, our weekly market commentary will be out, and it will be live. And again, we titled it "Are the Polls Wrong Again?" Question mark. So. Um, you know, just kind of a playful. Clearly, we're trying to get some eyeballs on it. You know, that's par partially some of the job is to get people to look at it. But there are some really unique situations uh, that say maybe it's a little bit closer. But at the same time, I mentioned the U.S. dollar being weak. Well, historically, that meant the incumbent president wins. But last I checked, a lot of Joe Biden's policies are potentially weak dollar policies. So maybe the market's sniffing out that Joe Biden win. So it is it is a very confusing situation. The reality, though, the, we're not going to do our regular, we usually do the podcast on Monday, release it Monday night. We're like, you know what, next week with the election, there's really no point in doing that. This is kind of our pre-election um, special podcast. So we'll, the next next podcast will be Wednesday after the election um, to discuss, you know, potentially, hopefully, who, who will have a winner and we'll know the loser, or maybe, maybe we're still counting votes, you know, I mean, we'll just see. But we'll, the next podcast will be Wednesday after the election. 
So with all of that, thanks again to everyone who continue to listen to this podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you to Barry for joining for the second time. Who knows, Barry? Maybe we'll let you come on again. But I think we're definitely going to have Nana on again. She was, uh, she was awesome. We really appreciate her insights and how, again, she is helping our LPL advisors. It's so, so valuable um, for what we do here as a company. Um, and with that, everybody, thanks again for being here. We'll be back next week after the election. It's just weird to say the next podcast is after the election, but that's what it's going to be. So we'll see everybody then. Take care. Bye-bye. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency. Not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations, and may lose value.